find me one analytics metric that, that says that Matt LaFleur should have kicked that field goal, I will streak naked down 3rd Street in downtown Lacrosse. There's not a single one. What do you mean? Analytics. Shut up. This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Here's your host, Grant Bills. Not going to lie, I left work last Friday night feeling a little bit like a, like a changed man. Felt like a changed man on Friday night. I, I kind of felt like no longer a football guy, but I'm a, I'm a basketball guy now. Like, you got to understand, during football season, it is my job, well, most of my job, to watch games, to watch the Packers, to watch college football, just watch football and turn it into a show five days a week. That's kind of my job in my life in the fall. And now that the Packers are done and we only have one game remaining, although it's the biggest game, it's the Super Bowl, I, I kind of feel like I'm no longer a football guy. I'm switching into basketball mode. So I have felt personally changed leaving work last Friday. So all weekend I'm thinking about basketball topics, Bucks topics, Badgers stuff, right? And then, then on Saturday night, we got, we got a little gift, didn't we? Football fans, we got thrown a little bone at the end of the season, just as everything's winding down. Jared Goff and picks for Matt Stafford. And to quote Michael Corleone from, I believe, the third Godfather, just when I thought I was out, they pull me back in. We're getting pulled back in. We got to talk about more football today. Yeah, we'll talk Bucks and, and Badgers. We'll talk hoops too, but come on. We got we to savor this moment. A little bit of free football. A little uh, bonus football conversation today after that news on Saturday night. My name is Grant Bills. It's the Wisco Sports Show. And I'm glad you're here. I hope you had an excellent weekend. I had like a, a surprising great weekend. Like sometimes, you know, you have weekend plans and you're looking forward to it all week. Right. This is kind of a surprise, sneaky good weekend. I had a friend who texted me on Friday night, a friend who lives up in the Twin Cities. And he's like, hey, do you want to meet somewhere in southwest Minnesota? On, or well, it would have been tomorrow. Do you want to meet me tomorrow somewhere? We can do a little fishing. So I drove about an hour. I, I visited some new towns in Minnesota. Never been to Preston, Minnesota before. Very nice place. The Root River is beautiful. Caught a couple of trout and wrapped up the evening in a supper club with some brandy old fashions, listening to Charlie Rich and Don Williams. Like, that's, yeah, it was tough to beat out of nowhere. So I had an awesome weekend. And then, of course, watching basketball as well and enjoying a little snow. So I'm, I'm feeling great today, if you can't tell. And I hope you had a good weekend, too. We're going to cover a lot of ground today. Like I said, we have certainly started to switch into Bucks mode, into batters mode. But we, uh, we really got thrown a bone as football fans with this Jared Goff. Matthew Stafford trade on Saturday. So that's where I want to start. And of course, your opinion is always welcome. I'd love to have it. Send me a text, 608-796-2558. And of course, you can always, not just during the show, but always tweet at me, at Wisco Grant as well. I want to start with this. Uh, This is such a treat. Like, as somebody who watches sports, follows sports, and then tries to turn that into great conversation, this is, I, I could not ask for more. So the Rams sent Jared Goff, and two first-round picks, and a third-round pick for Matthew Stafford. And this is a treat because this is an NBA-type trade. We never get to talk about trades like this in the NFL. This never happens, right? Like, just looking at some of the big NBA trades that have happened in the last year or two, you don't have to look very far. Let's talk about James Harden. What did that happen, like a week and a half ago, two weeks ago? The Nets sent three first-round picks, four first-round pick swaps. That's as many as you can trade, I believe. So that's seven combined. And then Jared Allen, Torian Prince, and Karis LeVert, all for James Harden. Now, there were other teams involved, but they gave up everything and anything to get James Harden. Happens in the NBA all the time. The Anthony Davis trade. The the Lakers had to give up all the picks and all the players. They had to deal Brandon Ingram and Josh Hart and Lonzo Ball and three first-round picks, including a pick that was number four overall. These kind of moves happen in the NBA all the time. So much to the point where they're almost, like, tiring to talk about. It's like, well, they'll get a first-round pick in 2027. So whatever player they're going to draft then is in middle school now. It's just so abstract in the NBA because the picks are thrown around, players are thrown around, and massive trades like this happen all the time. They never happen in the NFL. Like like the Anthony Davis trade or the James Harden trade, that would be like the Packers trading multiple picks, Elton Jenkins, their best developing offensive player, A.J. Dillon, and Alan Lazard. Like, Like you would never see that in the NFL, but we see it in the NBA all the time. Now, the Lakers didn't include players. They only included Jared Goff and picks for Matthew Stafford. And I have enjoyed this trade so much. And I've enjoyed following the reaction to this trade. 
because nobody knows how to handle this. No NFL people know how to handle this. Now, we've seen a couple of trades in the last few years that, like, that net a lot of picks, but two first-round picks is, is the baseline for this kind of thing. Like, that's what Khalil Mack fetched. Jalen Ramsey and Laramie Tunzel both went for two first-round picks. Also, but but those players aren't quarterbacks. We've never, we've never seen, like, two first-round picks for a quarterback swap. I can't think of a time that we've seen this. This is NBA-type stuff. Now, the big question today on all the sports shows and on social media and the blogs and the podcasts, the big question today was, are, are the Rams now a Super Bowl team? Does this make the Rams a Super Bowl contender? Now with Matt Stafford instead of Jared Goff. So you're, you're doing the math. You're taking Jared Goff, who we assume is an upgrade, or uh, Matthew Stafford, rather, who is an upgrade from Jared Goff. You combine him with that Rams defense that was so good last year. Right? Is, is this a Super Bowl team now? The Rams were number one in scoring defense this previous season, 2020. They were the number one scoring defense, total points, and points per game. And they were also number one in yards per game. They surrendered about 281 yards per game. They also were in the top eight in turnovers forced. They forced 22 turnovers. But that's weird because they were minus three in turnover differential, which means their offense gave the ball up a ton. So as many turnovers as they forced, like I said, they were top 10 in the league, their offense was giving it back at even a higher clip, which is why they were minus three in turnover differential. So you you think about that defense and then weapons on the offensive side of the ball, like Cooper Cup and Robert Woods and rookie Cam Akers. Les Snead, the general manager of the Rams, thinks his team is a quarterback away from a Super Bowl. All we need is the quarterback. That's the final piece, and we're over the top. We'll be contending for championships once again. Because remember, the Rams were in the Super Bowl two, three years ago. I almost forget because it was the most boring Super Bowl I've ever watched. They were in the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, and now their Super Bowl quarterback, Jared Goff, has been traded, and Les Snead thinks, if I can just get an upgraded quarterback, Matt Stafford, to pair with this defense, which is number one in so many categories this last year, with Cup, with Woods, with Cam Akers. Les Snead thinks his team is a quarterback away from the Super Bowl. And reading and following and listening to a lot of football people today, a lot of folks agree. I do I do not agree. I do not agree. The Rams aren't a quarterback away. At least I don't think so. This move, in my opinion, makes them a contender in the NFC West. I don't I don't know if it guarantees them anything past that. They got to deal with the Niners, who will be back in some regard, whether they're back running the ball and playing defense and fully healthy, even with Jimmy G, or let's say the Niners make a move. Okay, so you got to tangle with the Niners. You still got to tangle with Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson. I think that that unit is on the decline, as I talked about last week. I don't, I don't know if Pete Carroll is in Seattle much longer. And whatever they cook up in Arizona with Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins, if Cliff Kingsbury can take a a positive step as a coach, that's going to be a tough team too. This move doesn't put the Rams in the Super Bowl. This move puts the Rams in the conversation for their own division, a division that's really, really competitive. I'm not in agreement that the Rams are a quarterback away because we have precedent for this. Very, very recent precedent for a very similar move where a general manager thought, we're a quarterback away, let's go for it. Now, we have precedent For the strategy behind this move, we don't have precedent for the trade itself because I'm talking about the 2017 Vikings. The 2017 Vikings, and then after 2017, they didn't trade for a quarterback. They signed one. They signed Kirk Cousins. In 2017, the Vikings went 13-3, and mostly on the back of their elite defense. Now, their offense was pretty good, too, but the defense was the story. They were number one in total yards, number one in yards per game and points per game. Very similar to the Rams this previous season. And Rick Spielman, the general manager for the Vikings, much like Les Snead, thought his team, the Vikings, were a quarterback away from getting over the hump and contending for a Super Bowl. And so he gave Kirk Cousins that big deal. Three years, $84 million guaranteed dollars. Now, after that happened, the year later, the Vikings' defense dropped to ninth in points per game. And then this previous year, they were 29th in points per game. So 2017, that was, that was it. The defense was great. The weapons were great. And, and Rick Spielman thought, hey, let's get a quarterback and we're there. We're a quarterback away. So we got the quarterback and what's happened? It slowly decayed little by little, at least defensively. We've been talking about this for weeks. Do not build around a defense. It's not reliable. I'm not saying the defense isn't important. I, I think if you've listened to me at all during the Packers season, I've, defense is very important. But you don't build your team around the defense. A general manager shouldn't look at his roster and say, okay, we have a great defense. What can we do with it? No, 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 no. 
The defense comes second or third. You don't build around a defense. The defense isn't the cornerstone of your franchise. It's just not reliable. For example, the Vikings, they had great luck in 2017. They forced a lot of turnovers, which really isn't controllable, right? Turnovers fluctuate from year to year. That doesn't mean your defense is necessarily getting better or worse. Turnovers are just related to luck. They're not really controllable, right? In that year, they had luck with turnovers. Aaron Rodgers got hurt, right? The Bears went 5-11. and 11. That was their mini transition year while they were going to Mitchell Trubisky. That was the year they drafted Trubisky, so they had Glennon for a while, and, and the Bears hadn't hired Matt Nagy yet. That was the end of the John Fox era. So there were a couple of free wins for the Vikings in that regard. And then the Lions, I don't I don't know what the Lions were doing. They were doing Lion things in 2017. And all of those factors that contributed to the Vikings' success, especially defensively, were outside of the Vikings' control. Ex- well, except for maybe the Aaron Rodgers injury. That, that was a little bit controlled by the Vikings and Anthony Barr. But do you get my point? By signing Kirk Cousins, Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer and everybody with the Vikings essentially placed a bet on those factors to continue. They basically bet that their defense would continue to turn the ball over at a high rate, which is something you should never bet on. They basically bet that the Bears would stay bad, which didn't turn out to be the case. The Bears went 12-4 and the next year. Aaron Rodgers got healthy. The Lions are still doing Lions things, but that's, that's besides the point. I saw the best explanation of this yesterday. It was by Timo Reske, who writes for Pro Football Focus. This was the, this was the quote, and I'll just read it to you. The Stafford deal makes me realize how dangerous the a quarterback away phrase is. We often say that if a team has a good record, despite subpar quarterback play, not realizing a minor quarterback upgrade will already be mitigated by the fact that the supporting cast has likely already peaked. Do you get what he's saying? Right? If, if you think you're a quarterback away because everything else on your team is so, so good, that probably means that your team was built on unstable factors like a defense or turnovers or injuries within your own division. And even if you go and get a quarterback, you can't expect on those other factors to continue. Right? The supporting cast has peaked. And I do think that's the case with the Rams. Their defense remained remarkably healthy this year. Now, Aaron Donald got hurt at the end, at the very end. But throughout the course of the season, the season where those statistics were built up, That's how they earned those metrics, the number one scoring defense and yards and yards per game. That was earned over the course of 16 games, 17 weeks, where they remained very healthy, especially at key positions. Their defensive coordinator, who is brilliant by all counts, is now a head coach at the Chargers. And they stand to lose a couple very important free agents like John Johnson, Leonard Floyd, Troy Hill, who is remarkable in their secondary as their secondary or tertiary cornerback behind Jalen Ramsey. They were great, and they're going to lose, presumably, a couple of those guys as many NFL teams are because the cap is going to go down. Teams are going to have to make tough decisions. The supporting cast around Jared Goff has already peaked. So sure, you can go get Matt Stafford and you can bring him in, but don't expect the defense to be as good. And don't expect the turnover luck to be there and the health luck. Just look at the Vikings. They would know. Now, I I, I like the Keenum to Kirk Cousins move. Like, that makes sense. You're upgrading a quarterback, but I don't think Kirk Cousins is that much of an upgrade over what Case Keenum was in 2017? Like, it's a slight upgrade, right? And I, likewise, I don't think Goff to Stafford is that big of an upgrade. It's a little upgrade. Yeah, you're improving. But the money you give up to go from Keenum to Cousins, it's substantial. It's not, it's not marginal. The improvement from Pete Case Keenum to Kirk Cousins, that's a marginal improvement at a substantial cost. Much like going from Jared Goff to Matt Stafford, that's, that's a marginal improvement, and I really like Matt Stafford. But when Jared Goff's healthy, that's a marginal improvement, and it comes at a substantial cost. No team is a solid quarterback away from a title. That's just not how football works. You, you, don't, you don't aim to get a competent quarterback with the goals of then making a Super Bowl. No, no team is a solid quarterback away from winning a Super Bowl. Almost every team in the league is an elite quarterback away from a title. I like Matt Stafford. I like Kirk Cousins, but they're not elite. Kirk Cousins isn't elite, even when compared to Case Keenum, at least the form with which we saw Case Keenum in 2017, which was tremendous. It's the same with Stafford and Goff. Like, I like Stafford more than Goff, and I think Stafford has probably been buried on the shelf in Detroit and has had some bad luck over the course of his career. But let's not act like Goff to Stafford is Mitchell Trubisky to Patrick Mahomes. Let's not act like uh, peak Case Keenum to average Kirk Cousins is Jake Luton to Deshaun Watson. 
No, those are marginal improvements, but they come at a substantial cost. And the Vikings, by signing Kirk Cousins, essentially bet on unstable factors to continue over the course of the Cousins contract. And that hasn't happened. The defense has fallen apart, as defenses tend to do. The Rams are betting that they're going to continue to turn the ball over and hold opponents to, to low yardages, and that's just not going to happen. So I think there's a scenario in which Matt Stafford comes in, plays great, and nothing really changes. And I want to continue to talk about that, at least for about 10 more minutes, and then we'll get into some Wisconsin stuff. I want to talk Bucks coming up at 435, uh, and I want to talk Packers because Matt LaFleur and Brian Gutekinds both spoke to the media today. I don't want to play a lot of sound from those pressers, but there's a little ounce of audio from both LaFleur and Gutekinds that I want to listen to and then discuss. So a lot of good stuff coming up. I want to talk about the Lions, the Rams, and we'll start to work the Packers into the conversation as well. Coming up next here on the Wisco Sports Show. Wisco Sports Show rolling on. I hope your week is off to a good start. It's Monday. I'm not going to pretend like we're all having amazing days. I got to work this morning and I had to answer emails for like 10 minutes, which to you probably sounds insignificant, but to me, that was just, oh, answering emails. But now we should be good for the week, right? We're clear. We're in the clear. <laughs> My name is Grant Bills. You can find me on Twitter at Wisco Grant. I appreciate you hanging out. Bucks conversation coming up in about 15 minutes. They had a tough weekend, uh, but I'm, I don't know what it is. I don't know if there's been something in the air this Bucks season. Hopefully it's not COVID. That would be a weird symptom, but I'm just feeling so patient with the Bucks. I'm not really looking to yell about the Bucks, and I'm not going to start today. They lost two games this weekend to two teams they definitely should have beat. And they play the Blazers tonight. So if they play bad again, they, they might lose three in a row, which, I mean, that's unprecedented under Coach Bud. They never lose two in a row. But I'm, I'm feeling patient. I'm feeling uh, understanding uh, and, and filled with perspective. So I'm not going to yell about the Bucks, but we are going to have a constructive conversation about the issues they may or may not be having and how they should address them moving forward. That's coming up at 435. In the meantime, we're talking about the news of the weekend. I would love to skip over this trade of, of Stafford and Goff. I'd love to talk about something Wisconsin-related, but this is an amazing story, and it's so interesting because there's so many layers. We were just talking about the Rams, and are they truly a quarterback away? Right? I tend to think no, because the Vikings in 2017 thought they were a quarterback away as well, and we've seen how that has played out. Right, Their defense has decayed over time. Factors outside of their control, like injuries and turnover luck, those types of things have started to regress. So even with Kirk Cousins playing well, as he played really well this season, like Kirk Cousins was good, but the Vikings have other issues. And I think the Rams have other issues too. Now they can try to forget about those issues and and be in denial and say, no, we just need a quarterback. I'm not going to blame Jared Goff for everything that's going wrong in LA. So we're trying to talk about this from all the angles. I want to talk about it from a compensation angle. What exactly LA gave up and what exactly is Detroit getting? I want to attack this from this angle now, just for a few minutes. You can share your opinion if you'd like to send me a text. 608-796-2558. John, I see you have sent me a text. I will get to that at 4.30 in just a few minutes. You can also tweet at me, at Wisco Grant. Just reading the room between texts that we've gotten at our station and, and going on Twitter as well, all football fans seem to be really excited that Matt Stafford is free from Detroit. We're all very excited to see what he can do when he's not on the Lions. The Lions, don't get me wrong, are a total poverty franchise and they can't do anything right. I think that goes higher than the GM and the coach. I was talking to a friend today who's a Lions fan and he's like, I, I don't even care about the new coaching hire. Like they, they can only go through so many coaches before we realize that's not the issue. So I think Lions fans right now are feeling really dejected. And I, I would be too if I was a Detroit fan. They're a poverty franchise. They can't do anything right. But Detroit is getting torn apart today and yesterday. And, and the Stafford trade continues this trend that they've had over their history of losing their best players prematurely, right? They lost Barry Sanders. They lost Calvin Johnson. I'm making it sound like they died. They didn't die. They just, they retired early. Barry Sanders, Calvin Johnson, and now Matthew Stafford, who you might argue is their third best player in franchise history. The two previously mentioned names were maybe better and also both prematurely retired. Matthew Stafford, I gotta think, is their best quarterback in franchise history. I, I apologize for not knowing my Lions history, but is there any history worth knowing? You can correct me if I'm wrong. Either way, they lost another marquee player, franchise player, because of their own ineptitude. And don't get me wrong, Detroit should be ripped for that. I think maybe their ownership should have to answer some questions and possibly make some changes. But if we're going to rip the Lions apart, can we please recognize that the Rams have been wildly mismanaged as well over the last couple of years? Now, the Rams have done a great job disguising it. And their optics are certainly better in L.A. They don't live in a decaying town in the Midwest that's snowy and known for 8 Mile and, and 
drugs and poverty. They live in L.A. Right? It's warm. It's sunny. It's Jared Goff. It's California cool. But the Rams have had some issues over the last couple of years. And I know everybody thinks that they're going to get Matthew Stafford and they'll finally have a legit quarterback and they can finally win and do their thing. Ah, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think so. Maybe they'd really have to thread a needle. Their defense would have to stay good and stay healthy and stay lucky, which could happen. Crazier things have happened. But I, I don't think that's going to be the case. And I think when this is all said and done, we're going to look back at the Rams and think, oh my, oh my God, they tried to manage their team like an NBA team. This is why there's a salary cap. And this is why NFL GMs are very frugal. Whereas general managers in other leagues, maybe not so much. Baseball, there's an unlimited amount of money to spend, at least if you're a big city team. And the NBA, you can you can really manipulate things and throw draft picks around like candy because who really cares? The Rams have drafted well enough. Don't get me wrong. And they found good coaches and they've won a lot of games. Heck, they made it to a Super Bowl. But Les Snead, their general manager, let's start at the beginning of this quarterback saga, which started with Jared Goff in 2016. He gave up a future first rounder, two seconds and two thirds, to move up from pick number 15 to take Jared Goff first overall, that trade with the Titans. And it's a trade that was bold. It, w- it was certainly aggressive. But if you get your franchise quarterback, I'd say it's worth it 10 times out of 10. Right? I don't think we disagree there. But let's recognize how much he gave up to move up to get Jared Goff. Les Snead then extended Jared Goff in Jared Goff's third year. Third year. For four years, $134 million. And 110 of it was guaranteed, which at the time was a record. It wasn't broken until it was broken by Patrick Mahomes this previous offseason after the Super Bowl. Les Snead traded Jared Goff, or extended Jared Goff, rather, in his third year. First-round rookies have five years. You can have that fifth-year option to evaluate a player, and even then, you could kick in a, um, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Franchise tag, like Dallas is doing with Dak Prescott. They had so much time to evaluate and to wait on paying Jared Goff, and they didn't, almost because it seems like they wanted to prove to the world, see, we were right to trade up. See, we were right to make this guy our franchise quarterback. The Rams doing a little bit of victory lap in that regard. Then, what he he traded him in his third year, in 20, or uh, excuse me, extended, I keep saying traded. He extended Jared Goff. And then, what, two years later now? A little bit over two years later? Sneed trades two first-round picks and a third for Matthew Stafford and in the process eats over $22 million in dead cap this season. They're going to have $22.5 million just simply dedicated to a player who is no longer there. So sure, we can look at the Rams and how they ended up with Matt Stafford, and he's a good quarterback. I don't think he's good enough for what they're searching for. But let's recognize exactly the capital they have sunk into the quarterback position, which right now is occupied by Matt Stafford. They have uh, uh, accounted for four first-round picks, two second-round picks, three third-round picks, and $22 million that are just just into the ether this season for a player that's not even there. They gave up four first-rounders, two second-rounders, three third-rounders, and $22 million for Matt Stafford, who at his best is top 10, maybe barely. And Stafford has had good moments, don't get me wrong, but he's never done it consistently, right? When he first got healthy and was able to play as a starter, really, in 2011, he was great. He had 41 touchdowns. And then the next year, he had 20. And then the Lions hired Jim Caldwell. Oh, Stafford was good again, and we all got excited. And then he regresses. Okay. Fire the offensive coordinator. They get Jim Bob Cooter. And Matt Stafford is great. And then all of a sudden, he wasn't so great. So they fire Jim Bob Cooter, and they bring in Daryl Bevel, and he's great. And then he's no longer great, and he regressed. And certainly there's outside circumstances, the roster around him and the franchise, the Lions, which is a poverty franchise. They can't do anything right. But let's not act like Matt Stafford is Deshaun Watson or Patrick Mahomes. Deshaun Watson, despite terrible circumstances this year, was incredible. Matt Stafford was uninspiring at best. And this is the player who the Rams have have attributed to now four first rounders, two second rounders, three third rounders. And they're going to essentially pee away twenty two and a half million dollars into the ether as Jared Goff now goes and plays in Detroit. Just something to think about. I know everybody's saying this is amazing for LA and it's aggressive. I don't think so for a sec. Not a sec. Let's talk Bucks. More of the Wisco Sports Show coming up next. show rolling on thanks for tuning in thanks for hanging out i'm glad you're here my name is grant bills 
and I am uh, the ringleader of this circus. We're going to talk a lot of different things tonight. We're about to get into the Bucks, but we'll talk a lot of Packers coming up after 5 o'clock. Gudekinst and LaFleur both spoke with the media, like, weirdly early this morning, like at 9 a.m. So I watched that press conference while I was making breakfast. It was very difficult to multitask. I got some eggs on the floor and whatever. It was a mess. But we are going to hear a little bit from that presser, just a tiny bit. We're going to spend most of our time talking about it because I don't, I don't know about you. I don't, I don't need to listen to Matt LaFleur talk for 20 minutes. And I certainly, as much as I love Brian Gudekins, UW lacrosse guy, I don't need to listen to him talk for very long. So we'll discuss, we'll talk about that after five o'clock. Your opinions, your takes, uh, typically your arguments. Uh, welcome, 608-796-2558. Uh, John texts in and says, how many times over the years did Brady take less in salary in order to plug holes in the lineup? Next question, how many times did Rodgers? Like, never. You Brady people, are. we're not even talking about Brady. Do you see, by the way, talking to Brady people, do you see the chief center was put on the COVID reserve list today? So he's out for the Super Bowl. Tom Brady, another brilliant, brilliant uh, uh, act of leadership and maturity and, well, straight class, to be honest. Tom Brady is the greatest for reasons like that. He makes sure that four of the Chiefs offensive linemen are probably going to be out this week. Robin Stoddard texts in and says, dude, (laughs) hi, dude. If the Lions got that for Stafford, can you imagine what the cost for Watson would be if Houston trades him away? Rob, I've thought about this. I don't know. First of all, I don't think Deshaun Watson's going to get traded. I, I don't think it makes sense for Houston, at least not right now. Maybe in the future, but they're certainly going to wait this out. I don't think that Deshaun Watson would fetch more than two or three first-round picks. Like, you see Stafford, two first-rounders. I think one of those first-round picks was so that Detroit felt comfortable absorbing the, the salary of Jared Goff. So really, the way I view the Goff trade was, hey, we'll give you a first-round pick for Stafford but we'll also give you another first-round pick for you to take the Jared Goff contract off our hands, all but $22.2 million of it because the Rams are still paying a a huge dead cap uh, number for Goff this year, even though he's now in Detroit. I don't necessarily think that then the price for Watson becomes three or four or five first-round picks. I just think they would need to be premium picks because there's no way if everybody stays healthy and we don't have a rapture or an apocalypse, there's no way that the Rams would be picking top 15 conservatively. I would assume the Rams picks that now Detroit owns will be somewhere in the 20s, low 20s to high 20s. They're fine, right? Those are picks you can build the foundation of your team with, but you're not getting your next franchise quarterback. And if Houston is going to deal Watson, they need picks in the top five, which is why I don't think there's a realistic suitor for Deshaun Watson outside Jacksonville, the Jets, And what's the other team? The Dolphins. Because those are the only three teams that can offer a substantial package, a package big enough to warrant the trading of Deshaun Watson. Like, the Packers aren't going to call up the Texans and be like, well, Stafford went for two, we'll give you three. That's that's not enough. They need to be really good picks, which the Rams really can't offer Detroit. Uh, So that's the difference, I think, between Stafford and between Deshaun Watson. I don't think Watson's going to get traded anyway, so that basically puts that to bed. Uh, I do want to talk about the Bucks, but I appreciate your texts and your tweets, and I will always make time for them, even if they're a little bit off topic. I want to talk about the Bucks for a couple of minutes. Last week, we had to bury the Packers, right? And last week, we were very sad. We felt angry. We felt kind of lost and rudderless. And I, like, I even felt betrayed a little bit because Matt LaFleur, who was so brilliant making decisions all season, suddenly turned into a, a, a play call. He turned into a bowl of fruit. I don't know what happened to him. He melted down, and I felt a little betrayed. We had a lot of emotions last week, right? And starting this week, we're going to be talking a lot more about the Bucks and a lot more about the Badgers. And I know it's tempting to take those Packers emotions that we will no doubt have for the next couple of weeks and months. I know it's tempting to take those emotions and aim them at the Bucks. Don't. Don't. The Bucks. the Bucks didn't lose in the NFC Championship game or in the Eastern Conference Finals. They didn't even make it far enough to lose on the doorstep of the championship. So don't, don't put this anger on the Bucks. They didn't do anything to deserve it. I know they had a bad weekend. And I saw a lot of people losing it on Twitter, on the WKTY Facebook page. And I try to check out what's going on in the zone as well and listen to a little bit of Ebo's show. I saw a lot of people upset all weekend long and today about the Bucks and about Coach Bud. Don't be angry about the Bucks right now. It's February 1st. I tell you not to be angry because chances are in a month or two or three, we'll need to be really angry. That's what it's looking like because I, I don't think this Bucks team is going to accomplish their goal. At least it's not looking like that right now of making the Eastern Conference Finals or beyond. We will have time to be mad about the Bucks, And if that day comes, I will be mad with you. But it's February 1st. And of all the things that you need to be stressing about 
and, and all of the things that you should be angry about right now, the Bucks are at the button. No, 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 no. Don't get mad about the Bucks. It's February 1st. We've seen for years with LeBron, his teams go sub 500 in January. It's the dog days, proverbial dog days of the season. Don't be mad. Now, we shouldn't exactly be thrilled either because the, the Bucks lost to the Pelicans on, on Friday night, 131-126. They lost to the Hornets on Saturday, 126-114. The Pelicans game was a little bit interesting. I, I think if that game was five minutes longer, they would have won. They just, they seemed sluggish and they just, they couldn't, they couldn't get it into gear. Every once in a while, they'd get a little spark, but that's all it was. It would die out and the Pelicans would make another run and then they just got straight up beat by the Hornets on Saturday. Now, both of those losses look ugly. They look bad. The Bucks were favored in both games. The Pelicans are not very good, although they're young and developing and exciting. I think the Hornets are better than most people think, but they're not as good as the Bucks. So yes, both of those losses look bad. Now, I don't get mad about a loss to a bad team occasionally. We, we all like to think that the NBA is, is rich and poor and it's haves and have nots. There's a lot more parity in the NBA than I think a lot of people would like to, would like to realize. Like the Nets. The, the Nets lost to the Cavs last week. The Nets have lost, they've lost to the Wizards. The Wizards have been the worst team in the East. The Nets with KD, Kyrie, and, and Harden. They lost to the Wizards the other day. So there's there's more there's more parity than we'd like to think in the association. So I'm not I'm not gonna lose my mind about an occasional loss to a bad team. You lose to the Knicks. Okay, the Knicks shot the lights out. And they're really not as bad as most people think. Now, you start losing multiple games over the course of a three or four game stretch to the Pelicans and the Hornets and the and the Blazers. Well, okay, well, then it's a little bit concerning. I'm much more concerned about some of the things I'm seeing with the Bucks rather than the results of the games themselves. I'm not mad that they lost to the Pelicans or the Hornets. I am a little bit concerned, however, as to how it happened. Right? We saw a theme over the course of the weekend, and we see a theme with a lot of the Bucks' losses where they just they just allow opposing teams to have career nights from three, to set franchise records from three. I saw somebody who I followed as Radio in Milwaukee tweeted earlier today. He's like, I'm just going to go ahead and check what Damian Lillard's career high in three-point makes is just to have that on my radar tonight because the, the Bucks are, are the doorstep. They're, they're the threshold for franchise records and personal records for making threes because they give up a ton of threes. And this has been the problem now for the last season and it's getting worse. The Pelicans the other night shot 43.8% from three. If that number were to hold throughout the whole season, that would lead the league. The Pelicans average 34.3%, which is fourth worst in the association. Eric Bledsoe in this game made seven threes. He averages less than two and a half. Lonzo Ball also made seven threes. He also averages fewer than two and a half per game. You get my point? Outlier nights become routine against the Bucs. The Pelicans are in town. Oh, watch them shoot the lights out from three. And then the Hornets the other night. The Hornets in this game shot 47.7% from three, which, if that holds, would lead the league by over six full percentage points. That's, that's over six percentage points higher than where the Brooklyn Nets are right now, and the Brooklyn Nets have the best three-point percentage in the league. The Hornets average... 36.6, which is actually middle of the road for the league. But that's still more than 10 percentage points worse than what they shot against the Bucks. The Bucks give up outlier nights. That's what we saw this weekend. But this apparently is what the Bucks do. This is Coach Bud's defense. They do so, they give up three-point shots as to prioritize the paint. They want to defend the paint. No layups, no dunks, no close shots. And while I I, I see the logic. I do. I, I don't really understand the logic. This logic perplexes me for, for two specific reasons. Number one, teams are shooting more three-point shots than ever. That's what the league is, is about these days, is shooting three-point shots. Go back 10 years to 2011. That's not that long ago, 10 years. That's when the Packers won the Super Bowl. So I guess it does feel like a long time ago. But you, but you get my point. A decade ago, we're not talking about the 60s or the 70s or the 80s with Larry Bird. We're talking about 2011. In 2011, NBA teams were attempting 18 three-point shots per game. This year, they're attempting 35. I don't know why one would design a defense that allows three-point shots in a time where the three-point shot has never been coveted more by opposing offenses. Think of the Miami Heat. The Miami Heat in the postseason, the, the team the Bucks lost to last year. The Miami Heat, their entire game plan is about letting Duncan Robinson and Jay Crowder, and Tyler Hero get threes. How do we get those guys opportunities to shoot threes? And then Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo can be a little bit closer to the basket, and they can be playmakers, and they can distribute to these shooters who are trying to get open. And, and the Heat, assumedly, before they played the Bucks last year, they're in the meeting room, and they're how do we get Duncan Robinson open, and how do we get Tyler Hero and Jay Crowder open? What do we do? 
The, the Bucks just do, they, they don't have to do anything. The Bucks just let them be open, right? It's like if I, it's like if I was a deer hunter. It's like, oh, I got to come up with my game plan for opening morning. Where am I going to put my tree stand? And, and, and what gun am I going to use? And how warm should I dress? And then I show up to my hunting land and the deer is standing next to the road, like right where I park. He's like, go ahead, do it. That's what the Bucks do. That's what the Bucks, they give up the shot that opposing teams want to take. And that makes no sense to me. Now, I know that's not all on Coach Bud, but that's kind of how his defense is designed. Sure, players have to execute and try hard, but I, I just don't get why you would design a defense like that. Reason number two that this defense perplexes me. The Bucks have really good personnel for depending the paint. Just organically. Like, like without any help from scheme or assistance from coaching. They have Giannis, who is a, a jack-of-all-trades defensively. He can protect the paint, but he can also come out on the perimeter as well. He's so valuable defensively. He's a, he's a tool. He's a weapon. Brooke Lopez is one of the better rim protectors in the league. Brooke Lopez and Giannis and the rest of team all length. This is, that's how they built this team. They should be good enough at protecting the paint without the assistance of scheme. So why you would design a defense to double down on what you're already good at rather than trying to pick up in other areas, that doesn't really make sense to me. Now, if I was a hot take artist, which I have been accused of occasionally, I could really take this and run. I could go anti-bud. I can, and you know me. I can make a mountain out of an anthill. Forget a, forget a molehill. That's amateur stuff. I can, I can create a mountain out of nothing, out of a grain of sand. It's one of my favorite things to do. But... I'm not going to argue that the Bucks should fire Coach Bud. That would be very hyperbolic. And I see a lot of people on social media, and I've seen other radio hosts and podcasters, they're saying, hey, it's time. It's time to let go of Coach Bud. You're going to let him go after the season anyways. You might as well do it now, which I, I don't agree with that logic whatsoever. The Bucks are taking their lumps. They're going through growing pains, and they're not overvaluing the regular season. They're tinkering. They're experimenting, and they're learning. And isn't that what we asked for all along with Coach Bud? is to not focus on trying to win 70 games, but instead getting things figured out and practice making adjustments and trying different things and experimenting so that when the playoffs roll around, you're a better team. You learn something from the regular season rather than just trying to focus on beating the Wizards by 40, which is what the Bucks have done for the last two or three years. You get what I'm saying? This is what we've wanted. Now, I don't want the Bucks to be 11 and 8. Don't get me wrong. But it's not like any of these other teams in the East, other than really the Sixers, are running away with anything. First seed, third seed, who cares? We have wanted the Bucks to tinker and experiment and adjust. And they're finally doing that. Coach Bud is doing that. They've lost a couple games because of it. Okay. They play 70 regular season games. The goal is the postseason. Hasn't worked for the Bucks the last couple of years, so they're doing some things different. I don't. I, we're getting what we wanted. This is what we asked for. So I'm not going to lose my mind. They got a game against the Blazers tonight. It's at seven. We'll see how it goes. I'm excited to watch. And because I don't have cable, I'm going to stay at work to watch it. Isn't that nice? Isn't that great? I'm going to sit out in the lobby after everybody leaves and mooch off the cable that my, my boss pays for. Isn't that nice? I'm excited to watch. And if they lose, okay, we'll figure out why they lost. Hopefully they learn from it. It's the regular season. It's the NBA. Who cares? Who cares? Half of the cable providers in the state and streaming services don't even have the bucks on. Do you think if these games were really that valuable in the regular season that YouTube TV would be sitting on its hands. They'd never do that with the NFL because the regular seasons are built a little bit differently. I'm excited. Sit down, watch critically, try to pick out what Coach Bud is doing. If they lose to the Blazers, okay, the Blazers are a good team. They got another game in a few days. This is great about the NBA. Let's take a break. I want to continue to talk about the NBA and the NFL a little bit. This is kind of a big picture thing I want to do. I want to talk about what some NBA players said last night in availability about, about what bothers them, sports fans that bother them. And I want to talk about this coming up next, and I can relate it to the Bucks. More of the Wisco Sports Show coming up after this. Stay tuned. Wisco Sports Show rolling on. Happy Monday. This week isn't so bad. We have so much fun stuff to talk about. My name is Grant Bills. I am your host, and you can find me on Twitter at Wisco Grant. I, I came across a, a a tweet from Jim Orzowski. Ozout, I'm sorry, I can never pronounce it right. You know who I'm talking about? Journal Sentinel covers the Bucks, and he said Blazers coach Terry Stott says Derek Jones will not play tonight versus the Bucks. And at that moment, I'm like, oh, the Bucks catch a break, and oh, I need to set my fantasy lineup. So I was really quickly able to do that over the commercial break too. Sometimes I get texts from the rest of the league. It's like, hey, idiot, you're going to set your lineup? Yeah, 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 I'll do it, I'll do it. 
So there you go. Derek Jones isn't going to play versus the Bucks tonight. And also, in case you were concerned, don't worry. I got my lineup set. I know you were all uh, all worried. 608-796-2558. That's the number you can text if you want to be a part of the show. We're talking Packers and just kind of marveling at the end of the season press conferences. Matt LaFleur was asked if he's going to give up play calling duties. Pete Doherty, bold, I got to say. It, it, it doesn't... It's not as an offensive question as, as maybe we would have taken it to be three weeks ago. They had some situational miscues on Sunday. Now, I don't know if I, I go from situational miscues to Lafleur has to stop calling plays. or There's a, there's a push and pull with all of this. I, I would say that his coordinators need to be able to carry their own water on, I don't know, two or three plays throughout the game. <laughs> like, hey, Mike Patton, don't call a man. Okay, there, there you go. It's that simple. I don't know. I don't know if we need to change play callers in order to fix that mistake. Well, they don't because, you know, Mike Patton's not around anymore. But we're marveling about some of the things that was asked and, and answered by Matt LaFleur. And now, uh, Brian Gudikins. Now, I, I didn't plan on playing any of the Gudikins presser because GM pressers are boring. And I, I'm a Brian Gudikins fan. Uh, I, I think of him as a brother almost. We both went to the same college. That's a strong, strong bond. I'm being a little sarcastic, but you get my point. Like, I... I'm always interested to listen to the GM speak because they never really speak to the media. And when they do, it's typically about something significant or it's the beginning or the end of the year. And so, so I'll always watch, but I, I didn't go into today thinking, oh, we got we to listen to Brian Gutekunst on the show on, on Monday night. No, because GM pressers are typically pretty boring. Heck, the, the questions were more interesting than the answers this morning. All of the questions revolved around either two ideas. A lot of them asked about Aaron Rodgers, and a lot of them asked about the draft. And for your convenience, I made a montage of some of the questions, just so you could uh, get a pulse. How do you plan to assure Aaron that he's the guy, not only in 2021, but beyond? Just to clarify, I just wanted to make sure with regarding Aaron Rodgers, you, when you're saying he's going to be our quarterback for the foreseeable future, you're saying not just 2021, but the years beyond that as well, or is Mike jumping yeah. that correct? I actually have a question about your defense, but first, just very quickly, because Aaron himself said in the past week that there's never any absolutes, and what you said about his future seems pretty clear. Can, can you foresee any scenario in which you would be willing to trade Aaron Rodgers this offseason? Now, Ryan Wood's question is a little bit more fair, in my opinion, especially because there was a report that the Rams made, quote, a run at Aaron Rodgers, whatever that means, and that's a, a report that Gudikins categorically denied. We'll get to that to end the show. Like, how, how how can you affirm to Aaron Rodgers that he will... Be, I don't know. There's no Southern reporters. I'm not going to use that voice. How can you affirm to Aaron Rodgers that he won't only be your starting quarterback next year, but into the future as well? How many times are we going to spin this question to realize that he's basically not going to answer it? He's our leader. He's our quarterback. He's, he's our guy. Easy. And a couple guys asked about the draft, too. Like, hey, do you regret taking Jordan Love? Do you think they could have used a wide receiver, et cetera, et cetera? Well, Brian, you know, you get that number one seed and you're at home, and you come up five points short of the Super Bowl. What are the top two or three things you think happened this year that maybe could have helped? Hey, Brian, um, we all understand that drafts aren't for this year or, you know, you didn't draft 2020 for the 2020, but is there any regret in your mind about about how it played out? Um, you got to the championship game and your first round pick didn't play a snap. And, you know, maybe if you did something different, um, maybe you'd have gotten over the hump. Isn't that just great? I think they all, the whole beat had coffee beforehand. We're like, all right, we're going to blitz him on these couple of topics. And I give a shout out to Andy Herman. He has some interesting questions. Good for che- good for Andy Herman, Pack-A-Day podcast and, and friend of the Wisco Sports Show. He has some good questions about the cap and about, you know, uh, personnel uh, with a new defensive coordinator. Like, there were some good questions asked, but I'm just like, how many times? How many times are we going to do this song and dance? And how many times? How many times are we going to do this? So it was a little exhausting to watch this presser. And like I said, I, I wasn't planning on playing any of it because GM speak is very boring. It's never juicy. It's in their best interest to keep the cards as close to the vest as possible. So why why would he get out on the podium and say, "Well, I mean, we would trade Aaron Rodgers if somebody wants to call and offer us a top ten pick"? Like, what do you? He's not going to say that. So the expectation is boring when a general manager speaks. But Goody did say one interesting thing in this presser, uh, and it was a comment or comments uh, about love. Uh, Jordan, Jordan Love, the quarterback, not the, not the emotion or the, the action or the feeling. No, the quarterback that Brian Goodykins traded up to take in the first round in a season that then saw Aaron Rodgers win an MVP and his team come, you know, a couple of yards short, essentially, of, of making the Super Bowl. So he comments about Jordan Love. Matt Schneidman of The Athletic, Schneidman, asked him, if he still views Jordan Love as the next starter. Goody, do you still view Jordan Love as the heir apparent to Aaron Rodgers? 
I was interested to see how he wiggled his way out of this question because it is a good one. This is not the answer I expected, not the answer I wanted to hear, and I'm sure I am still not sure how to feel about it. I, I view uh, Jordan as a very talented prospect that we're really excited about developing. And I know that um, maybe that's not the norm to have quarterbacks sit for, for a long time, but we, uh, we certainly believe in that. Um, I go through my history here with the Green Bay Packers, whether it was you know Matt Hasselbeck, Aaron Brooks, and the way we developed those guys and always feeling good about having a guy that if something happened to Brett back in those days, or even when we had Matt Flynn with, with, uh, when Aaron was here, that, that if we needed to go to somebody else because of injury or, or, or anything else, that we were, we were able to do that. So we believe in that. This, this probably won't be the first time we draft a quarterback and, and try to develop them because we just think it's such an important part of the game. I think you look at the two teams that are playing for the championship this year and, and, the, and the four teams that were in the, in the final four, so to speak, and I think you can understand the importance of developing quarterbacks. So we're going to put a lot of stock into that. We're going to use resources to, to acquire and, uh, and develop uh, quarterbacks just because it's what we believe in. Uh, I'm really excited about the, the limited development that Jordan has been able to do in the, in the short period of time that we've had him. Uh, Matt kind of hit on it. You know, there were some challenges, I think, that – um, unforeseen challenges as far as offseason and no preseason games and things like that. So we're excited to kind of continue down that road and get him into some preseason games. And, um, you know, at the same time, while we're competing for championships with Aaron. Okay, so there was one little nugget in there. I, I was listening to this this morning while making my morning omelet. And by omelet, I mean scrambled eggs because I have nothing in my kitchen to put in an omelet. So I was making eggs. I almost dropped my spatula when I was listening to this. And granted, I was not dialed in. It's not like I was hanging on every word that was being said. I had my headphones in. I was was cooking. And I stopped dead in my tracks. I almost dropped my spatula. I almost almost dropped it right into the eggs, right under the floor. Let's rewind for a moment. Just for a little context as to why this is so significant. My Jordan Love view this year. Been kind of riding the fence. I've been very middle of the road on the Love pick. I wish the Packers had another weapon. I think they could have been significantly helped by another wide receiver or a defensive line next to Kenny Clark or, or a linebacker. But I understood the Jordan Love pick, and I didn't lose sleep, and I didn't lose my mind over it. I understood it. Granted, Rodgers is good this year, but the previous two seasons, he wasn't, and he wasn't trending in the right direction. And Goody, the UWL eagle that he is, is dreaming big, and he's going for the white whale. Right, He smelled blood, and he said, this is my guy. He's the white whale. I'm going to get him. And I appreciate the gusto because I'm a little bit of a white whale hunter myself. I said I went fishing on Saturday. You know, a lot of times in the winter when the water's slow moving and quiet and the fish are slow, a lot of people, they go real small with the flies. No, I tied a hog on Saturday because I was looking for the big fish. I was hunting for the white whale, and I didn't catch a, a huge I caught it, okay, it was like 11 inches, so like big for me, okay? I'm a bit of a white whale hunter myself, and I am another UW lacrosse eagle, so I, I feel kind of in lockstep with Brian Gutekinds on this pick. I was okay with the Jordan Love pick because I thought Goody was aiming for the stars, and he was looking to make it 30 straight years of solid quarterback play in Green Bay. Where in God's green earth did Matt Hasselbeck and Aaron Brooks comparisons come from? Where, where did those start? Where did the, excuse, excuse me, Aaron, Bro- Aaron Brooks, Brett Hundley, a, a fifth round pick, Brett Hundley. We're really going to make this comparison or, or Matt Hasselbeck. I thought, and I was told here, I'm doing this Packers thing now. I was told that, that, that he was Mahomes, that he was Watson, that he was the next Aaron Rodgers. And he was so good. We couldn't pass up on him, even if it's clunky with Aaron Rodgers, because our scouts loved him and our metrics loved him. And he is our guy and, and he's going to win us the Super Bowl. And he's going to take us into the next era of Packers football. And we're going to have a Hall of Fame quarterback play until 2030. That's that's why I thought that Jordan Love was picked. When did we lower the bar? Aaron Aaron Brooks? Aaron Brooks. I did, not, I did not hear that name come out of Brian Gutekind's mouth. What's next? Mason Rudolph? We talk about Mason Rudolph and how oh, we're just develop. We just develop guys to develop guys. Brett Hundley. I thought Jordan Love was the future, the future, not a future, not an interesting guy. We're gonna we're gonna tinker with in the garage. That's not no 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 no. The Packers waved their nose at a couple of players that really could have helped this team in 2020. And I'm not saying it would have put them over the top and won the NFC Championship game because you know and I know because we're smart and we watch the game. That game didn't come down to a lack of personnel. The Packers were not 
bested by the better team. They had coaching errors, they had execution errors, and they had performance errors, most specifically from Kevin King, who is a much better corner than he showed on that stage in that game on Sunday. Now, it doesn't matter. It's not like the Packers win that game or they get points back because Kevin King had a bad game. That's not what I'm saying. The point is, these Packers were good enough to win that game. But who's to say it couldn't have been even a little bit better? Who's to say that T. Higgins on the outside wouldn't have assisted on on a couple of those drives. Who's to say that a a linebacker wouldn't have helped? Or or a defensive line? I'm not arguing that Brian Gutekinds is an idiot. I'm not arguing that he botched the draft like like epic proportions, like a lot of people are saying. I'm simply saying they they could have benefited from another player. As good as the Packers were, they could have benefited from another player. And I was okay with the the fact that they didn't draft another player because I saw saw a killer look in old BG's eyes, Brian Gutekinds' eyes, and he's saying, we're going to go get our guy. The rest of the NFL doesn't think we can do it. The, the league doesn't think we can go three in a row. Well, damn it, we're going to do it. Just watch. Just watch. As we, as you cry in your front offices, you're drafting Mitch Trubisky, and you're paying money to Kirk Cousins, watch us go Favre, Rogers, Love. And you can kiss the ring that has that green and gold G on it. That's what I thought this is about. I didn't think this is about Mason Rudolph, Aaron Brooks, Matt Hasselbeck, Brett Hundley-type players. No. No, 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 no. Now I'm a little upset about the draft. And it only took, I don't know, how many months? A little bit of evidence? What, you are really going to compare this man. You have flipped Packers fandom upside down for the better part of a year. You have turned the national media on us, Brian. And I first name basis because we're fellow alumnus or alumni or alum, whatever the word is. Brian, you have made life increasingly dramatic and difficult while not helping your MVP quarterback announce. And you did so... Because you you want to tinker in the garage with the quarterback? Putting together one championship team's not good enough. You need to have a passion project on the side. Goody, you want a passion project? Like, bake your own bread or start a podcast. Everyone's doing it. Buy a fishing pole like a normal person. Don't take a first-round pick and a fourth-round pick and flip a season on its head because you're you're bored in your free time. Get some knitting needles, man. Do anything else. Oh, <laughs> so you're you're telling me that you God you tra- you traded up to take him with with Aaron Brooks in the back of your mind? Oh man, I don't even know what to say. Well, I do. I just said it. I wh- what do you wh- what? Where do we go from here? Aaron Rodgers won an MVP. People are talking contract extensions. And in the best season of Packers football I've seen since 2010, you, 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 t- you took a quarterback. You took Jordan Love. I, don't, I didn't hate that pick because I thought we were going for the jugular here. I thought that the scouts loved, loved, like too good to pass up, loved him so much that you just simply had to take him because he's going to be that good. And if the Packers evaluators think that, hey, I'm, I'm all in. They watch a lot more football than I do. They go to the Senior Bowl and watch games in in conferences I don't even know. Now, I'm a fan of WEAC football, which makes me a very cultured football fan, but not to the level of the Packers executives and scouts. And you're taking Jordan Love because I thought we were going to do this for another 15 years, but no, you want to tinker in the garage? Oh, well, now I'm a little bit upset. Now my season has been spoiled. It was a whole lie. It was a lie the whole time. I wish the best to Jordan Love, just like I wish the best to Brett Unley. But what are we doing? What are we doing here? Oh, let's take a break, collect ourselves. I'm going to get a, a stiff drink of water, and we'll come back and wrap up the show. A couple of things I want to talk about. Another comment about the Chiefs making a run at, uh, at Aaron Rodgers, reportedly, although this is in dispute. And Brady, Brady proved once again that he is the greatest of all time today. He just keeps doing it, folks, and I will explain exactly what he did. Ah, he's brilliant. I'll explain. Coming up next as we wrap up the Wisco Sports Show.